doctors last night, and that was, does this thing bend a little? <laughs> Ooh. My wife, when she sees me getting something to pick up and open a jar or fix something, she sees me just really starting to rip on it, and she says, that's okay, Mike, I'll do it, because usually it breaks. It just... So, or she sees me with a hammer and she just leaves the room because she knows disaster is, is coming. And I rarely go into the yard without coming out with something that scratched me or made me bleed. Almost inevitable. I will uh, get, get bloody somehow. And, uh, but I, you know, I, as I came here, last night I was having dinner with your pastors, as I was saying. And, and then as I got here today... <clears throat> I see everywhere around this facility the Word of God. And uh, that really is a testament to, uh, to pastors who have dedicated their life to something that uh, a lot of churches, <clears throat> uh, and I've, tra I've traveled all over the United States, <clears throat> a lot of churches just, there's, there's some things that go on that, that could be, could be looked upon as compromising. They, they, they soft pedal uh, things, or they, they like to tell more stories than they do about getting into the Word of God and mem memorizing it. And, and it just, I was just downstairs for prayer time and just reading all the scriptures all over the walls. And uh, this is a well-taught, well-schooled congregation. And so, um, uh, be ye thankful uh, for pastors who say if it ain't in the word of God then I don't want to be a part of it and um, because there's one thing I don't know if you've ever thought of this scripture but it's uh, Psalm 138 and I believe it's verse 2 <clears throat> but it says uh, you Lord have magnified your word above all your name and we know that Jesus name is uh, above all names. But even that name has said that he has magnified his word above that name. So that's how important the word of God is. Uh, and um, uh, to keep ourselves in that is going to keep us from straying uh, because it's so easy to do it. We just drift a bit. And some of that might even be addressed this morning as I get into this word this morning. I want to talk about the commission uh, to the church. Uh, some call it the Great Commission. Um, I'm fine with that. Uh, Jesus did leave us two commandments. One, one is uh, the, the commandment to uh, go into all the world <clears throat> and preach the gospel, make disciples. And uh, the, uh, the other is the Great Commandment. And the great commandment was, was really nothing new because in Leviticus it said, love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, but when Jesus came to uh, just pretty much close to leaving this world, he, uh, he said, a new commandment I give you uh, to, uh, to love one another as I have loved you. Uh, there's too many loopholes, or there's one loophole in the love of your neighbor as yourself, because I've even ha heard people say, I can't love people because I'm really not a big fan of myself. I don't love myself. Well, that's not, an, that's not the command. The commandment is not to love you. 
to love yourself. That's the assumption that you love yourself. The commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that's a, that's a, that's a big, I think, differential for us is now we are commanded in the new commandment to love one another as Christ loved us. So I, I applaud uh, Terry and uh, Suzette for their, their diligence for keeping uh, the Word of God uh, front and center as uh, we exalt Jesus Christ uh, supremely in this place. The church Jesus founded, and we all know that he was the church first church planter, right? It wasn't your pastor, it wasn't the Apostle Paul, it wasn't Peter, it was Jesus. Uh, he planted his church, uh, however little it was at the time, he planted it, and that um, he gave his Holy Spirit to that church, and that uh, in the upper room, he established that church and something else called a new covenant. And uh, up until then, uh, what we call the old covenant was the covenant. It wasn't old then. In fact, Jesus quoted from that covenant. But now he's saying, I'm doing something new. Something that's been prophesied for centuries. Almost from the beginning of time. That God was going to do a new thing and bring about a new creation. Uh, a new man. And that's what happened in Christ. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. There can't be a covenant without the shedding of blood. So Jesus shed his own to create this, this new creation, this new man. In fact, uh, some of you might not have thought of this this way, but in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe it's 15, it says he made peace. In his body, he made peace between two warring factions. And, and in doing so, he created one new man so this new this theology you see in the new testament of put off the old man put on the new man if any man be in christ he's he's a new creation the old has passed away behold all things become new that's not just gibberish that jesus christ created because the old anything in the old is dying this body that i was given in the old creation that's why I need to be born again. I need a new, something new to get me into the new, the new world that's coming. The, the old is passing away, the new, so the new may come. So this, uh, this church, this people of God, this new man that he created on earth, and by the way, so I'm not offending any ladies, uh, God created man in his image according to his own likeness uh, and he gave him dominion and so God created man male and female he created them so when you're talking about mankind or man it's a generic term it's not meant to separate or anything like that it's just I'm old-fashioned and I I can't, can't always remember to say, men and women made in the image and likeness of God. But there's, there's this, this, this new thing on the, on the earth called the church. And uh, 
and we, we still are in the, the last days. Do you know last days started with Jesus? Hebrews chapter 1 says, uh, God used to speak through, to our fathers through the prophets, but now in these last days is speaking to us in his son. And, uh, and Jesus is saying, this, is, this isn't about, this isn't the old anymore. This is the new. And, and what this new does, and so there was this moment in time where Jesus was kind of like on a little retreat with the 12, and he uh, was up in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and I'm in uh, Matthew chapter 16, and uh, he asked the disciples. It's a very familiar portion of scripture to you. And, and he says, who are people saying that I am? And Peter, in one of those rare moments where he really nailed it. <laughs> I mean, he nailed it. And, uh, and Jesus just got all over that and commended that boy for really hitting a home run. Uh, then uh, the disciples were saying, well, some are saying this, some are saying this, but who do you guys say? Who are you disciples saying that I am? And Peter, the spokesman, said, you're the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's when Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, uh, for flesh and blood has not revealed that uh, to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has done that. And I say to you that you're, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, uh, Hades, saying in more modern translations, uh, will not prevail against you. Um, the gates of hell will not prevail against you, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And uh, 4,000 years before that, it sounds very familiar to what the Lord God said to first man and first woman. Um, let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness and let them have rule and dominion over everything on the earth. Now, I'm paraphrasing that. That's not a direct quote. But Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28 is talking about a mandate. A mandate to rule, subdue, take dominion over everything on the earth. So now in this mandate, this portion of scripture that was up on the screen, Matthew 16, that is a reminiscent of a mandate, a directive that was given to first man and women on earth. And you'll find things like that throughout scripture uh, as you read through Old and New uh, Testaments. You, you will find phraseology that talks about the 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 ultimate purpose of a human being on this planet and what he and she were to do. And I'm calling that the mission 
of the church today. So let me give you something that helps me remember this portion of scripture really easy. There are four M's. I, I've got a thing with M's, and I'm sorry, I, I'm Mike, I'm married to Marlene, I live in Missoula, Montana, I have a son named Michael and Michelle, and, uh, and you know, we had a dog named Misty. So I'm, I'm kind of weird with M's, and it just works out real fine today uh, for this. But um, the first is a mandate. There's a mandate in our text we looked at on the screen. There's also a message, a message in that text. And then there's a means by which the message will be carried out. And then there's some might. So I want to I just hit those lightly this morning and wrap it up with a, a, a closing thought. The, the mandate here is the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I, I don't know what you think about the term, uh, gates of hell, gates of Hades. Won't, uh, gates, gates don't move. Gates are stationary. Uh, but it's also where elders of the city would come and do business of the city, the town in which they lived, it's where prophets, uh, Jeremiah, for example, came to the city gate several times to bring some heavy duty. It's where transactional things took place. It's where Boaz uh, offered the right of near kinsman to his uh, elder relative uh, to marry Ruth. Uh, he didn't want to mar his inheritance. It was at the city gate. So it was where business was transacted. It's where authority took place. So when you're talking about the gates of hell, it's not that the gates are, are moving or something. It, it, it's, it's the authority of hell will no longer have control of you or control. It, it will not prevail. That presupposes, of course, that the church is advancing against that authority. If it's just saying, well, gates of hell won't prevail against me, but I'm doing nothing about it. Well, they're not, you're going to get run over is what's going to happen. So it's, it's, it, there's a mandate here uh, that, that was lost to our first parents because there was this sinister creature in the garden, <clears throat> right? We're going to get to that in a, a, a little bit later. <clears throat> where he, he deceived. He deceived Eve, and, uh, and Adam partook. They disobeyed what God said, and authority, dominion, rule was sloughed to the serpent, who Jesus identifies in John chapter 12 as the ruler of this world. Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world blinds the minds of them that believe not. So, so there, there, there is an active agent on this planet, but now in the new creation, in the new man, there is regained authority that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Okay? Now that moves us to the message where Peter makes this statement upon this rock, or Jesus said, upon this rock, uh, Peter, you will build my church? Yeah. Upon this rock, I will build Peter's church? No. no not, not, not Peter will build, I will build my church, and I will build it on me. 
The message is not uh, about Peter. Peter is not the rock here, even though his name means. There's kind of an allegory here. Uh, His name did mean stone, uh, a big stone. But that's not who Jesus was referring to. Number one, Peter's dead. Peter's no longer here, and he certainly wasn't talking about a papacy (laughs) of of a succession of Peters uh, to rule the church. He's talking about what Peter said about him, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the message. The message, uh, really, or the gospel, is about Jesus Christ. Um, Mark tells us that in his very first verse of his gospel. He starts out like this. The beginning of the gospel. Is there an echo in this? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark had no no distortion about what the gospel is. Yes, there's doctrine. Yes, there's uh, theology about the cross and about... Uh, Christ being the second person of the Trinity. I get all that. But the gospel is not words on paper. The gospel is a person of God. God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Jesus Christ is the good news. The good news is not you're going to hell if you don't come to faith. That's, That's a horrible thing. The good news is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to do something that we couldn't do ourselves. That's good news. And we can can have that for ourselves. So the message uh, is really important here. Uh, That's the second M. First M, mandate. Hell will not prevail against the church. The authority of hell. And when we talk about Satan not having any teeth, he, does, he just growls and roars, but he doesn't got no punch anymore. Don't say that. He does have authority. He does. He, he's a usurping authority of darkness on this earth, and he comes with cruel hate. Martin Luther, in his great hymn of the 1500s, uh, talk about a mighty fortress is our God. He comes with cruel hate. And power. He has, he has power to destroy people's lives. But not if we are taking that authority that Jesus said, All authority and power has been given unto me, and I say to you, Go and do. So there is a mandate that the gates of hell will not prevent or keep us from doing business in Jesus' name. It will not, it will not prevail. And the message is huge. The message of the church is not, you know, just lovey-dovey. The message of the church is battle. It's, it's, it's battle. We're not on the love boat. We're on a battleship. And we, we, are, we are called uh, to go forth in his name. But this mandate to prevail against uh, hell and the message is all about Jesus from start to finish. It's never about me. In fact, life ceased being about me when I became born again. Then it became uh, that life was all about God, and it was all about the people that yet are to know him. 
It, it, it's no longer about me. I thought the world was centered in Mike McGovern, but it's not. <laughs> Learn that real quick. The third thing is, is this thing called means. <clears throat> the mandate is to take, to take authority and dominion over a usurping adversary that still is at work in this world. To, to take an aggressive stance against him. The message is the person and work of Jesus Christ, not the person and work of Mike McGovern. It's the person and work of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's our message. Only Jesus saves. There is no one, no one else but, uh, but God in Christ. There's no other, no other God. Have you ever heard that phrase uh, from one of the prophets? There's no other God beside me. Sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? There's no other God besides me. There's no other Savior by me. There's no other rock like me. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The rock meaning his confession, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in Isaiah 43 and Isaiah chapter 44, he makes statements that are remarkable to hear. That's the message. Jesus the Christ, the only Savior, the only God, become man. And he says, just like Isaiah says in chapter 43 and 44, he says, and you are my witnesses. What did Jesus say in Acts chapter, chapter 1? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. He's, he's almost pulling scripture right out of the uh, Isaiah chapter 43 and chapter 44. He tells us that the church, the church's number one priority is to advance the cause of Jesus Christ on this planet. Nothing else. To advance, to make his name great, to sing his praise, to glorify him, to represent him and represent him well. Jesus said in another great commission, in fact, it's the one that's known as the great commission, Go into all the world, preach, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you. It's no longer about the old covenant. It's about teaching people in all nations what I have commanded you to do and to say. This is a new covenant. New covenant. Now, there's some people that don't have a new covenant. <clears throat> they, have, they haven't gotten there yet. They're still living under the old covenant. And those are people for whom Jesus died as well. And by the way, they're very, they're very special to Jesus, to God. They're called Jews. The ancient people of God who are still under that thing we call the old covenant. And their eyes 
have scales over their eyes. When they turn to the Lord, it says the veil is lifted in 2 Corinthians 3, but not until then. Jesus was saying to those disciples and to the world, the, the church by extension, go in all the world and make disciples in my name, teaching them to observe everything that I have said and done. You're my witnesses. Let me read you a portion of scripture. It's in Ephesians. It's the last few verses of chapter 1. Here's what uh, the King James um, the New King James says, far above, so Christ is far above, now notice this terminology, he's far above all principalities, powers, might, and dominion. He's far above all of that. Doesn't that sound like the last part of Ephesians 2? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, Okay. Here he's saying in the end of chapter 1 of the same epistle, Christ has been placed far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. And every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body who fills the fullness of him fills all in all. Now let me read that same portion of scripture from a, a paraphrase written by a man who's now with the Lord. He died a year ago last month. Uh, so just over a year ago, Eugene Peterson died in northwest Montana. Uh, of, uh, he, he was up there in age, but he's a, he's a man who's had profound impact all over the world. Uh, and, uh, and was a, a small-time, small-county, small-city pastor. Pastored a little, little church most of his life, and yet he has this international renowned ministry. Here's how he translated those same portions of Scripture. Now, please, in fact, if it helps you to think, maybe close your eyes. If, if you can focus... Um, better by listening, watching me read, uh, that's fine. But here's how he translates, same verses. Jesus Christ is in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power is exempt from his rule. We're still in that dominion, ruling, taking dominion, subduing. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. And at the center of this, the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Now listen to this. This just so blows my mind in the best of ways. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church in which he speaks and acts and fills the whole world with his presence. The church is the centerpiece of God's activity on this planet. 
No one gets saved. No one gets filled with the Holy Spirit. No one gets baptized. No one comes to understand this without the church saying and doing what the head of the church is doing through them. In fact, it was Derek Prince in a book, and I'm sorry I can't quote it. This would have been in the, like the 70s, maybe the 80s. He made a statement that still jars me, almost seems blasphemous to me. But he says, if Father God were to do anything that sidesteps the commission of the church on earth, he would owe his son an apology. That is bold. God has bound himself because Christ has commissioned everything to be done on this planet through his bride, the church of the living Savior, the head of the church with the power of the Holy Spirit, acting and saying what Jesus does and says. So if anyone's going to be saved, it's going to be because of you, brother. What are you smiling about, Jerry? It's going to be because of you too. Right, Joanne? It's going to be because you act and speak because the head of the church is that's how he acts and speaks is through his body who fills all the earth with his presence now that takes focus there is a mandate we we have it in chapter one of of the bible i'm creating this imago day latin for the image of god Who's the image of God on earth? The image of God was given rule and dominion. It's been reestablished or reactivated through his church on this earth in the new man, not the old man. That's why the term, have you ever seen that terminology in Corinthians that talks about old Adam or first Adam, second Adam, first man, last man? You ever seen that terminology? That's what it's talking about. In the judiciary of God, the bar of God, the justice of God, he only sees two human beings on this planet. Which one are you in? That's why all these prepositional phrases. Are you in Adam? All die. In second Adam, in Christ, all shall be made to live. We're talking Romans 5 right there. I mean, it's just probably one of the most important chapters of the entire Bible, Romans 5. It's, it's talking about this, this, this whole thing about who we are now in God, in Christ, uh, of Him and for Him and through Him and to Him, all these prepositional phrases. Who are you in the old creation or the new creation if we're in Christ? Because we've been born again, we're now a new man. We're living in this new economy of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You've got the means. You are the church. You've got the message, Christ. <clears throat> and we've been t told we have the might. And I give unto you keys to the kingdom of heaven. What did I just give Jerry? What are keys for? 
he can take off in my car. He really wouldn't want it. <laughs> it's really dirty right now, too. Uh, <clears throat> but I've given him access. That's what keys do. And I give unto you keys to the kingdom of heaven that whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose on this planet is loosed in my name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Keys give access. Now let me close with this. I believe that ultimately to be almost intercessoral uh, prayer and taking a stance against the enemy, which is basically what you move to in the end of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Having done all to stand, stand. Having your loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, and, and, and do war. Stand, stand. Four times it says stand in those few verses of Ephesians 6. Stand. Take a position that, that begins to say, not on my watch, not here. I have a mandate from God. I've been given the message. I, have the, I am the means in which God will do this, and I've got might, and I speak these things. I, I declare, I take authority that's given to me and none other Jesus. I have no authority in myself, none. Zippo. It's because of who is in me who has all authority and dominion and he has told me to go. You might want to call it, I now have a badge and a gun. I have jurisdictional authority, which is my badge, given to me by constituted government of God on this planet. I, ha I have his authority, his jurisdiction, and I also have some dunamis. I've got some power given to me, given to you, vested by the Holy You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But how is that maintained? Because quite frankly, uh, a guy named Spurgeon was called a prince of preachers. He's from England in the 1800s. He was a powerful man of God. Baptist brother. But he would, he would be heard saying every day he went up, in, they had big tall pulpits that the preacher towered over the people in the congregation. And he was a thunderous preacher. In fact, he was one of the founders of the fundamentalist movement. He, he and a couple of characters from the U.S. and evangelical ministers all over the world drafted things that became known as the fundamentalist papers, the fundamentals. And hence the term, a fundamentalist, came out of that. So uh, he was saying, he was asked, why do you always say as you're going to the pulpit, Mr. Spurgeon, that I, I need the Holy Ghost? I need the Holy Ghost. I need the Holy Ghost. And, and he says, because I leak. <clears throat> now, I, I believe once God gives us his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit's in us, but it, the, the verb tense in in being filled with the Holy Spirit says, keep on being filled. And how do you maintain that to you? And let me go again. Let me, I, I pretty much started in chapter one of the Bible. Let me go back there, only to the second chapter, where God made a garden, right? He created the whole world, six days, mwah, 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 mwah. everything good, right? 
Then he, then he took man and he, cre he planted a garden in an already phenomenal earth, planted a garden east in Eden, and then he put the man in there. Buffalo, Mrs. Buffalo, Mr. Buffalo, naming the animals, right? And, uh, and there was nothing found for him, so I'll make him a, a something suitable to him. I'll make him a Mrs. Man, <laughs> a Mrs. Human. And uh, so he puts him in the garden, and he says this most remarkable thing. And I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm being very honest now. I used to be quite challenged by what this said. It said, tend and keep. Tend and keep the garden. And how that's been handed down to us, and I have no beef with farmers. If it wasn't for farmers, we'd starve to death. Okay, so I'd get, this is no beef against farmers. But as God is my witness, he did not put man and woman in this garden to farm the land. Everything was there. Of all the trees, you can eat to your heart's content. Just this one. Don't, don't eat of it. And all it's this, but then this, these, these things. Did I go off? I did. Anyway, so he he said to the uh, them, tend and keep. I think that's what King James says. Tend and keep this garden. It doesn't make sense to put him in this garden of Eden, which means delight, by the way, the garden of delight, and give him a shovel and a rake and a bag of seeds. It, 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 it's it's not, not on the horizon there. But what is on the horizon is who is in that garden. There's Adam. There's this woman named Eve that was given that name. Who else? the serpent, and God. God would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. One translation says, keep and guard. Keep and guard this garden. It was unique. It was, <clears throat> he planted a garden, then he stuck them in this garden. And he said, tend and guard this. Because there's something in this garden that's sinister and dark and wants to take you out. And that is what you are to subdue and rule and take dominion over. And the way he was to do that is guard this relationship that he had with God. Walking with God in the cool of the day. Can you imagine? Every day this, these two human beings had the profound awesomeness of being in God's presence on this earth. And God's saying to him, guard this. Because if you don't keep this up, someone here is going to take you out. And you need to... You need to guard it. You need to watch this. You need to care for this and nurture this. 
cultivate this relationship with me. And that's why people like Paul in the New Testament and other places always talking about praying without ceasing. You can do that. You can always just be, you know, you hear people talking to themselves all day long. I, sometimes I even hear myself talking. But, but there's people who just talk quietly to God all day long when they're at their desk. Just, uh, I've even heard of people burping and saying, excuse me, God. That's because they've become so aware and practicing the presence of the Almighty in their life. And it keeps us sharp. It keeps us filled. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing and a wonderful gift that God gives to His people that we can approach Him now in Christ all the time because He's with us always. <clears throat> when the temple was destroyed, He blew the minds of His disciples. He blew the minds of the Pharisees. When He said someone greater than the temple is here, he blew the minds of the people. Because ultimately he was saying, this ain't going to be anymore. Because something new is coming. I'm not going to be in temples made of stone. I'm going to be in temples made of flesh. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whose, whose you are because he lives in you. And so this thing, just to, I, and by the way, this is a well-taught, this is a well-schooled church. Nothing what I've said takes you by surprise uh, because you, you understand the Word of God and you understand how true it is and powerful in your life is and who the Holy Spirit is and the gifts of God that He gives for all of us to, to obey that mandate, to carry out that message, uh, to be the means by which God does and acts and, and, and heals people and sets captives free on this planet is done by His church. The people of God that accept that missional statement and they go out in the power of His name with keys. Oh, by the way, can I have my keys back? Yeah. <clears throat> that was a bad illustration. I'm taking, taking, taking back what, what He was given. Uh, I see it's very important for the church to, uh, particularly in these last days, to, uh, to have a mindset that we're always representing God in the marketplace, at the grocery store. Uh, we're running, in fact, last night, uh, I, I was, I was do, doing, wasn't paying attention, but um, this uh, waiter came up to our table and um, Suzette immediately told him, saying, how can I pray for you? Well, that's an interesting way to greet your waiter, right? How can I pray for you? And, and he's, he was kind of taken back. And, well, I, I suppose you could pray for my schooling and helping me get through school. And she says, done. What a, how, how hard was that? Have you ever asked somebody to... Uh, can I pray for you and have them say no and heck no? Have you ever had anybody? Never had that happen to me. Where you get, you go anywhere you go, you know, why don't we pray about this? Here? Now? In the middle of broad daylight? I said, yeah, right out in front of God and everybody. Why don't we just pray right here? It stuns people. But in, in a moment of time, 
you've just dropped a little 10-second, 15-second commercial for Jesus Christ on this planet by, by being in the game, having your head in the game that I do have a mandate. I have a commission. You do. It's not because I'm a pastor or a retired pastor I, I, or I've gone to school. It's because I'm a believer. I'm, a, I'm in the church. I'm a son and daughter of God. We, we have commission. We have a mandate. We've, we're the means. We've got a message. Christ rules. He's, he's powerful. He can set captives free. And we've got keys. we got everything we need to do what we do. And I, I see these people all over the world, that, particularly in the United States, that are... They're doing and saying things that are, uh, were, would be an absolute horror and set people's hair on top of their head, sticking straight up with the things they've brought out into the open and how they're living their lives. Uh, it, uh, absolutely abhorrent to a generation earlier. But they, through the prince of darkness, have an authority and they're unashamedly, unabashedly preaching their bad news. And it's almost a shame to the church that the church is just kind of snoozing, letting all these things happen when we have been vested with so much good news. Just waiting to be spoken and waiting to be said. Let's pray. Father, uh, I'm in the presence of other believers and we're in your presence. These are people who, who have come to love you, to know you. Invariably, there are people here who have been filled with your precious spirit, who have asked to be baptized with the spirit of God. Lord, we, this people has everything they need to be able to speak and act and fill all of Grand Forks and its environs with your presence. And so, Lord, I pray for this, this congregation. I pray for new life, Foursquare Church, that, God, there, there would be a, uh, that you would breathe fresh that you would breathe fresh wind on your people in this church. That there would be a new wave and a new breath of vitality and life, new life, fresh life, fresh oil, fresh fire that would come upon this people, God. And that whatever, whatever God could be hindering this people from its destiny, because God, I know seed, great seed, laborious seed planting has gone on for years in this people and this city and this congregation. And God, I say, I say unto this church in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, be fruitful and multiply. And bring in the harvest, for the harvest 
is ripe. It's ripe. And it's ready to be harvested. God favor this people. This people. That there would be a yield coming. A harvest coming. That it's going to spill over into other churches and assemblies in this city. That will, uh, that will change the entire demographic of this part of North Dakota. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise your name. Praise your name, Lord. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And let not, let not that one, let not any of you say, that's for someone else to do. Let not, no one else to say that I'm not able. Because in a way, you, not in a way, because in that way you are denying the gospel. The gospel that has provided everything for you. Gifts of the Father, gifts of the Son, gifts of the Holy Spirit. The advocacy of Christ in heaven, ever living to make intercession for you. And the advocacy of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. With all kinds of signs and wonders wanting to work if you will dare to believe him. Jesus, may that not be a point of rebuke or anything to us. May it be a point of liberation point of freedom and a point of saying yes 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 that's me i want to see the gospel goodies demonstrated in my sphere of influence in this house in this city in this state in my world in jesus name amen amen